From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 179 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing okay. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, thank you. And, and I just have a question. Who's the leader of the club that's made for you and me? M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck. And <laughs> as Donald reminded us on the Mickey Mouse Club, he always plays second fiddle to the mouse. But he has been one of the most popular members of the Fab Five since 1934. He is the most published non-superhero comic book character of all time. He also appears in more films and shorts than any other Disney character. Over the decades, this duck has remained consistent, always wearing a blue sailor suit, but never pants, and has taken on many roles from teacher to army officer to most every other occupation in between. Donald Duck has been officially honored as the third most popular cartoon character of all time, with Bugs Bunny of Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies at number two, and another Walt Disney creation, Mickey Mouse, who is number one. Why did Walt Disney decide to create a duck character to join his mouse? And in this episode... We are continuing our series on Walt Disney Animation with a look at the history of that irascible duck, Donald. So, Craig, are you Team Mickey Mouse or Team Donald Duck? I am actually a thousand percent Team Donald Duck. I do not. I I don't want to say that I dislike Mickey Mouse because who can dislike Mickey Mouse? He is an icon. Uh, he will always be an icon, but uh, if, if you know me, you know that I have a hot temper, uh, angry side to me, and so I feel like I just, I just connect with Donald Duck on a deeper level. He and I are are very very similar in in many regards. Uh, I was never a sailor, so that's uh, <laughs> that's the one thing that we're not really uh, we're not really close on but i think personality wise i as reserved as i can be i i definitely do have that that hot-headed side to me so mm-hmm. i i love donald and then i just you know we will get into this as we we go along with donald duck but i just i feel like i gravitate more towards a lot of a lot of the cartoons that that he was in i feel like a lot of them were just they had a side that was maybe I don't want to say more humorous, but I think pacing and flow uh, just kind of worked better with a lot more of the uh, erratic sides of Donald. And 
So I love a lot of Donald's cartoons and you know, it's when Donald blew up, he really started blowing up in a, in a big way. So, uh, it's not like other people didn't, didn't buy into the craze. It's not like I'm, I'm not, I'm not the, it's not like I'm the only one out there. I'm, I'm definitely not the only one, but yeah, I, I really, I, I love Donald Duck and then Goofy's just right below Donald in my book. I like, I, and I know you're not a Daisy fan. Yeah. I don't mind Daisy. I, I actually, I don't really, I don't mind Daisy. I don't mind Minnie. It's, I, I'll be honest, my least favorite cartoons, a lot of my, my least favorite ones are the Pluto ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I think, think they're a lot, they're a lot weaker just because you, you know, unless you have Mickey thrown in the mix, it's when you have Pluto going up against another animal or Chippendale, it's just not as interesting. But I do love Chippendale as well, too. I would actually, <laughs> they'd probably be in my third spot, the Chippendale cartoons. So um, then Mickey, Mickey would be uh, number four for me i think i'll I'll revise this list some way some sometime down the line (laughs) yeah i'm team mickey mouse definitely he's um he's my favorite character i i tend to gravitate towards the early mickey maybe Mm -hmm. uh you know the post sorcerer apprentice when he became sort of the everyman um suburban mickey not not as much of a fan as the early sort of mischievous Mickey with the twinkle in his eye kind of thing. But um, I just, I like Mickey. And when, you know, of course I worked for him for a brief stint too. (laughs) So maybe that's why he signed the checks. But (laughs) Mickey's just, he went through so many, like like what you'd mentioned, he just, he went through all these different little personality changes as the year that went on. So I think that's also part of it for me is that, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do have, I have my favorite eras of Mickey and, uh, those ones definitely are higher. Those ones help elevate Mickey. And I, there's probably at least one era of Mickey that I, I like more than, more than even some of Donald Duck's cartoons as a whole. But when you start comparing some of the weaker eras of Mickey Mouse in there, then that, that throws off the balance for me a little bit. But yeah, uh, it's, it's, I mean, how lucky are we that these characters, are more complex than just make them and let them be the same the entire time and never change, never develop That's at all. That's true. And, and we're going to get into that with Donald Duck, too. And, and Donald was originally created as a pal for Mickey. Uh, credit for his creation is given to Walt Disney and his development to a number of Disney's animators, including Dick Lundy, Fred Spencer, Carl Barks, Jack King, and Jack Hanna. The voicing for Donald's famous unintelligible speech was first done by Clarence Nash from 1934 until 1985, and then Clarence Nash selected Tony and Selmo to voice the duck after his retirement. Now, Donald's origin stories begins with Walt Disney and a radio performer named Clarence Nash. Walt Disney heard a radio performer you know, Nash speaking in a strange, distinctive voice and decided to hire him at the studio. In Walt's imagination, Nash's novelty voice suggested a talking duck, and the story crew went to work to build a character around that sound. The resulting duck was christened Donald, and he made a screen debut in The Silly Symphony, The Wise Little Hen, released on June 9th, 1934, which is 
now consider Donald Duck's official birthday. Although, in one short, and we'll get into that in another episode, it is, it's mentioned that Donald was born on a Friday the 13th, and for, and that he was, you know, under a cloud of bad luck. But it's June 9th is his birthday. Audiences were immediately taken with this unusual cartoon character, and he was brought back as a supporting character in the Mickey Mouse series, and he quickly achieving a widespread popularity. Within two years, he had become a leading player and challenged the good-natured Mickey Mouse as the Walt Disney Studios' top cartoon personality. Walt Disney recognized Donald's potential after his debut in The Wise Little Hen, and it was his decision to co-star the duck in the next Mickey Mouse cartoon, 1934's Orphan's Benefit. Walt had been looking for a foil for Mickey for a while, and he had also been toying with the idea of a talking duck, which is consistent with the various stories of Walt's first encounter with Clarence Nash. Now, Clarence Nash was a milk delivery man with a talent for mimicking animal voices. The Ador Milk Company, for which Clarence drove a miniature milk wagon drawn by miniature horses, billed him as Whistling Clarence, the Adder Birdman. On an impulse, Nash auditioned for the Walt Disney Studio and impersonated baby chickens, turkeys, and crickets. However, his tour de force was a recitation of Mary Had a Little Lamb in the voice of a baby goat. This was a particular performance Nash had been perfecting for years. As the story goes, everyone cheered and Walt cried out, Stop! That's our talking duck! Our talking duck, said Nash. Our talking duck. But another version of the story states that Walt heard Nash on a local radio show and sought him out. Still, another version simply says that Walt's initial reaction to hearing Nash's quacky voice was that if ever they needed a talking duck, Nash would be their man. Nash worked as a freelancer for two years for the studio before being hired as a full-time employee. His first recorded work for the Walt Disney Studio was for The Bird Store, a silly symphony released in January 1932. Nash was one of the performers who provided the gallery of comic bird calls in that short and lent his talents to a variety of other Disney pictures before joining the staff full-time late in 1933 for a still-to-be-created character. So in this respect, Donald was unique. The initial drawings for his early films were developed from the voice of Nash. Walt encouraged Nash to laugh or get angry in a duck voice, and Nash perfected a range of emotions. As the Disney story artists worked to develop this character, they were thinking of the duck as a little boy, perhaps influenced by Nash's idea of the goat as a baby goat, They pictured the duck in very young terms as well. A rudimentary character began to take shape, and the writers devised a story outline with a spot for him. The story was for a Mickey Mouse short to be known as the Surprise Party, and would depict a party at which Mickey and the other characters would perform musical numbers and other improvised acts. As one of the guests at the party was the little duck fussed over by a doting mother. 
The little duck character will be dragged in by his mother, said the outline, and made to recite Mary Had a Little Lamb, preserving on film the speciality that Clarence Nash had been rehearsing for years for his friends. The surprise party appears to be the first story outline that the Disney writers developed for the new duck character. And it's not difficult to picture the little fellow in this scenario, busily fretted over by his stage mother. Disney historian J.B. Kaufman speculates that this may be the real origin of the duck sailor suit. Cute little outfits of this kind were a common affectation for overindulged children in this era. The story department continued to develop the surprise party outline, And a week or two later, they circulated a separate outline for a version of the traditional children's story, The Little Red Hen. The second story would ultimately be completed and released as The Wise Little Hen, and would provide Donald with his true screen debut, playing an adult character. The reason for the title change was to avoid confusion with Ub Iwerks cartoon version of the same story, which also had the title The Little Red Hen, and was released in February 1934. The Disney writers continued to work on the surprise party. By the time the film was completed and released in August 1934, it had been completely redone. Now the private party became a theatrical performance for an audience of rowdy little mice, and the film's title was changed to Orphan's Benefit. But Donald kept his spot in the program, and as advertised, he recited Mary Had a Little Lamb. Dick Lundy was the animator of the Orphan's Benefit, and said Lundy, I listened to the dialogue track and decided that he was an ego show-off. If anything crossed him, he got mad and blew his top. Though animators Art Babbitt and Dick Humor first drew Donald, Lundy was largely responsible for Donald's early screen personality. Donald's development also owes much to the imaginations and inventive genius of Carl Banks and Jack Hanna, who worked together as storymen on 27 cartoons during the classic era of Donald's shorts. Most of these are directed between 1937 and 1947 by Jack King. Banks and Hanna concocted the bizarre, hilarious plots that gave unprecedented scope to Donald's temperament and ability to create pandemonium. Hannah later became director and first introduced Donald's foils, the troublesome chipmunks Chip and Dale, along with other nuisances to antagonize Donald. Hannah was also instrumental in bringing Donald to television and giving him an even wider audience. So, so there you go, uh, Craig. Now you know who, um, who's responsible for your other favorites, Chip and Dale. Yeah. And I, you know, I do love that that Banks and Hannah did have that much involvement in uh, in Donald during that entire time because it, you know it, it's something that we still see today in movies whether it be Star Wars or Marvel or uh, even even a lot of television shows that change showrunners all the time it's the tone can be very different when it's different people getting their hands on the product and you never know you never know how it's going to come out and so there are a lot of people who like that that model where it's one 
one sole person or maybe one group mind that has the reins to everything and and will make sure that it's consistent and and all works together and uh you know i i i think i kind of lean towards that i that's where i kind of lose it on a lot of tv shows when you can tell that that they just kept changing who was in charge of the show and while the core characters are there it just doesn't feel the same sometimes bouncing around from season to season and so i'm more of the type of person that i like i like one consistent mind who is who is telling telling the stories of the characters and so i think maybe that's another reason why i i gravitate toward so well towards donald is since it was very much uh oh a, a very much a product of what Carl Banks and Jack Hanna were working on and having the most influence on. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, that's it, it, again, rounding back to it. It's, it's interesting how, you know, some of those concepts that were, are some of the concepts that are still in play now were also happening way back in the thirties and forties. It's, uh, it, it, it's kind of fascinating from, from that nerdy film slash TV perspective. Yeah. And this is largely due to Walt because like you, Walt wanted that consistency with his characters. And we'll get into a little of that in a moment, but yeah, at the studio in this time, there were the mouse men and there were the duck men and, and other characters that the animators, there was a core group of animators for the main characters at the studio who remained with these characters for years, giving that consistency in, you know, visually in their voice and in their personalities. And that's, uh, that's another thing about Donald, even just, it's not just the look, it's just, uh, you know, Clarence Nash is, he did such a great job over the years with Donald. And we're going to rave about that throughout the episode, I'm sure. But like his, his voice being in play as Donald Duck for so long also helped to have that consistency uh, so much. And even as as other people have stepped in to voice Donald, I feel like I feel like with the exception of of Goofy and Bill Farmer doing an excellent job with with Goofy, I feel like Donald is you know sometimes you listen to it and it's like you could swear that Clarence Nash is still voicing Donald mm-hmm. from time to time, and that's. That's that's impressive, but it's also when it's a unique voice. It's also it's also very easy to to probably find some people who can kind of latch on to those that that fun side of it a little yeah. bit easier. But I'm no voiceover yeah. artist. <laughs> yeah, and Clarence had a big say in Donald and what Donald did, and he would review storyboards, and he uh, he very much was Donald Duck. In, uh, during his time at the studio, yeah. he even had that, and we've seen photos of him with that Donald Duck puppet yeah. that he took everywhere with him yeah. for appearances and and all that. So, um, and I, you know, it, you can't go without yeah. mentioning it. We've mentioned it before, but in the uh, in the Reluctant Dragon, when they show him performing mm-hmm. uh, in in that that feature like it's it's just he he just was meant to be donald duck it's uh, there's no other way around it donald is donald was him and he was donald in that way yeah and for folks who have not seen the reluctant dragon we've talked about that before you really want to watch that to see 
the studio at its height and also to see many of the people we talk about regularly on this show you you see them in action Very and true. you see that and you see the departments that we talk about you know on this show you know in operation um so it, it's it's it, the the actual cartoon that it's um that it's bringing to life is is secondary in many ways to to seeing life at the studio well on february 7th 1938 donald debuted in his own daily newspaper comic strip drawn by al taliaferro and written by bob carp and taliaferro again here's consistency he would draw the comic strip for over 30 years and carp wrote the strip until 1974 during World War II, Carl Banks left the Walt Disney Studio and worked solo on Donald Duck comic books and created a new family of ducks for Donald. When he retired, he created oil paintings immortalizing Donald that are highly sought after by collectors. Donald's physicality is one aspect of his hilarity. Ducks are inherently cute, cuddly, and funny, and Donald is true to his species. He has a duck's distinctive shape, quack, and waddle, with the exception of, of his hands. He is more like a duck than Mickey is a mouse or Goofy is a dog. He is always drawn as a one-piece pear shape and keeping his leg well up into his body with his sag beneath emphasizes a sense of weight. He is short and squat but is highly flexible and stretches, squeezes, and twists into truly remarkable positions. Jack Hanna once said of Donald, you could rough him up and the next minute he was as happy as the devil. He changed that fast. This capacity for exaggeration makes him the most energetic and versatile of all the Disney characters, and his fast and furious physical changes express his excitable nature. Walt Disney may have summed it up best. Donald's got a big mouth, big belligerent eyes, a twistable neck, and a substantial backside that's highly flexible. The duck comes near being the animator's ideal subject. He's got plasticity plus. In his first film appearance in 1934 as The Wise Little Hen, Donald's appearance was different from the one we know today. His bill was longer and his body plumper, and he had feathery fingers rather than hands. The Donald we know today was not perfected till the late 1930s. In 1936, Donald acquired a shorter bill and more human hands in the cartoon shorts Mickey's Grand Opera and Moving Day. Animator Fred Spencer is responsible for giving the duck a makeover, radically altering his appearance and crafting the character as we know him today. What Fred Moore was to Mickey Mouse, what Norm Ferguson was to Pluto, what Art Babbitt was to Goofy, Fred Spencer was to Donald Duck. By the time Donald Duck's film On Ice was released in September 1935, Spencer was an experienced duck animator and had taken the initiative to suggest some changes in the character. In the mid-1930s, the Disney animation staff was rapidly expanding, and as more and more artists began to animate the major characters, the studio issued model sheets and analyses to help maintain consistency. Late in 1935, Fred Spencer created both the new model sheets and the analysis of Donald Duck. 
Instead of simply capturing the duck's original design on the model sheets, Spencer effected a major redesign, creating a character that was more appealing to the eye, giving us the Donald Duck we still recognize today. Some of his design changes were made for practical reasons. The eyes are not round as in previous pictures, he explained. They are more oval in shape and are kept to the side of his head. In this way, more black can be used in the eyes for the expressions. Donald's characteristic narrowing of his eyes when angered in his fighting pose was invented by Dick Lundy for the orphan's benefit. And said Lundy, For this, I had him lean forward, chin out, arms straight out and fisted. Other arm with fist was swaying back and forth. His one foot was out straight, heel on the floor. The other foot under him as he hopped up and down, quacking. This was considered fairly violent for that time. Even even for this time. (laughs) (laughs) But but you can't help but laugh when he... um, gets into his fighting pose oh, no i mean it's it's iconic so mm-hmm. it's it is it transcended just the cartoons and it's it's truly something that everyone out there can can picture donald going into his fighting pose oh yeah yeah every part of donald including his clothes are used by animators to convey the intensity of his reactions his eyes are on the side of the head so more black can be used for expression. His bill curves into his circular head when he smiles or protrudes on the outside when he frowns or gets mad. His head is usually smooth, but when he gets upset, his feathers stick up. When he is pleased, his tail wags, but not so when he is angry. Donald's jacket is loose to help with the flow of animation, but his hat will reflect his emotion. It sits straight on his head with the ribbon back when he is calm. When he is angry, it drops down over his eyes and the ribbon flaps in front. When he is surprised or frightened, it flies off his head. Early on, the story department found that Donald was at his best when he played true to his character. He could not be funny if the situation did not fit his idiosyncrasies. As a result, the gags were always a natural outgrowth of his personality and rooted in his fractious nature. So Jack Hanna, the duck was very versatile to work with. Donald could be anything. He had every emotion a human being had. He could be cute, mischievous, go warm or cool at any moment. According to Carl Banks, Part of Donald's tragedy is that he engineers his own destruction through a compulsive need to prove himself. Now, we all know that Donald's most notorious and entertaining trait is his temper. He possesses strong desires. He knows what he wants and is determined to get it, and when he doesn't, he blows a stack. That is why Donald is always given an obstacle to overcome, a goal to fight for, or a problem to resolve. According to the story department in 1939, the duck never compromises. Regardless of the odds against him, he comes back again and again to the fray, each time more determined than before, and rants and kicks and punches and yanks until either he or the opposition is in ruins. Donald's alternative approach to solving a problem is an attempt to be cunning or clever, but he does not have the required malice nor depth of thought to carry it out, 
and his attempts usually backfire. Donald also has a strong ego and longs to be the center of attention. In Orphan's Benefit and the band concert, he battled for the spotlight by playing the piccolo, singing, and reciting poetry. Donald continually sets himself up in situations that inevitably offend him. He is oversensitive about himself, has no tolerance for ridicule, can't take a joke, and his pride is easily injured. He is easily amused and enjoys a laugh at others' expense. However, his loss of temper is usually brief, and he is ready to forgive and is easily gratified. He also has his tender moments, though. Because Donald has so many facets to his personality, the story department found him easier to develop than other characters, and this also saved him from being typecast as a pest. Donald's personality evolved over time. By 1937, he was throwing fewer tantrums and smiled more often. He became more engaging and charming. Despite his mischievous inclinations and volatile temper, he became more sympathetic and tried to be better at helping his friends when they were in a fix, even though he was inept in his attempts. Donald was always a product of his era and changed with the sociological changes in the United States. He started out as a duck in the Depression, which explains some of his anger and resentment. He possessed a fighting spirit which ensured his survival during difficult times, and this may be one reason why Donald was so popular in his early years. As America shifted from a rural to a more urban population, Donald also moved from the barnyard to the city and took on a variety of jobs that had the appeal of a struggling worker. Donald was given a house filled with all kinds of cantankerous gadgets sure to set him off, a lawn filled with weeds and gophers, a car, and a girlfriend. Carl Banks wrote, He had become a duck of the world and let the world know that he thought himself abused. Donald became more human, with human problems. He had a job, paid taxes, and was even a surrogate parent to his three nephews. And all this brought a whole new array of annoyances. Donald had become middle class. In the comic books, Carl Banks made Donald more human and a hero. Donald and his family traveled to Duckburg and into outer space. Just hearing you kind of sum up Donald's progression, it, it makes me have an even greater appreciation for Donald as a character. Donald is... I think Donald's more of the everyman than than Mickey Mouse is, and it, it just—I mean, based on based on everything you just said, there's there's a lot to respect and admire about about Donald Duck, and and that again keeps reinforcing that how how was he so popular, and how did how did he continue to adapt with the times? It's just he he they always found a way to make him fit in without changing him too drastically to where it was two different characters it's just uh it's uh, I, I i like donald even more you've, you've made <laughs> me like donald duck even more through this well that's good i'm happy to hear that you know mickey made this transition too to the middle class but 
I think people could identify more with Donald because he became annoyed at the things we were annoyed with. Yes. And frustrated with the things we were frustrated with. Whereas Mickey just sort of went with the flow. You know? Yeah. Nothing yeah. nothing seemed to to upset Mickey. Yeah. And I mean I wish I wish we could all be like that. That was I mean, that's that's one of the the biggest goals that you could strive for is to just let everything roll off your roll off your shoulders, but we know that that's not not quite reality and then you have Donald. Donald just being a little bit more closer to to what the world is actually like. So, uh both both serve a very a very good purpose in in the cartoon world, but yeah, it's just uh, you you're making a better case for Donald right now here, mm-hmm. even if you don't want to. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Donald could not have been Donald, too, without his unique voice, as we've been saying. Uh, Clarence Ducky Nash provided the studio with the soul of a character for which the studio created the form. Duck talk is effective and distinctive and 50% unintelligible, which is why it is used sparingly in dialogue. Donald's voice was always recorded first, and his words and dialogue were carefully synchronized with his actions. The voice made the character and often determined the action, pose, and gestures. By 1939, Clarence Nash and the Walt Disney Studio had raised duck talk to a fine art. Certain expressions and sentences were found to work particularly well, and were cataloged in a studio memo titled, Practical Duck Expressions. Directors and storymen tended to follow through with one character, and directors built around them a team of animators who specialized in that character. Many found that they could not deal with Donald. But men like Jack Hanna, Carl Banks, and Jack King related to Donald's zany personality, as did his early animators Art Babbitt and Dick Humor, along with storyman Ron Williams. Dick Lundy, Fred Spencer, and Harry Reeves also worked on Donald's films. Some animators were better with Donald's more raucous and temperamental behavior, whilst others preferred to bring out Donald's whimsy or tenderness. Like actors, the animators identified with certain roles and characteristics of Donald. As the studio grew, so did the success of the duck. By the 1940s, the studio was producing seven to eight Donald Duck shorts a year, along with other cartoon shorts. Donald went on to appear in over 150 theatrical shorts and various educational films produced by the Walt Disney Company. He also inspired one of the most complex universes in comic book history, with writers such as Carl Banks and Don Rosa developing a world around Donald Duck and his family that continues to be published today. Donald also appeared in the DuckTales cartoon series in which Donald's nephews were sent to live with their great-uncle Scrooge McDuck due to Donald's enlistment in the United States Navy. He was officially addressed as Seaman Duck during his later appearances on the show. It should be noted, however, that Donald has never officially been enlisted in the United States Navy, but he was given the rare honor of being declared an honorary member of the United States Navy and the United States Marine Corps. He is also a member of the Screen Actors Guild and an honorary graduate of the University of Oregon, where he served as the school mascot from 1943 to 2010. 
and Donald received his own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame on August 3rd, 2004, located at 6840 Hollywood Boulevard near the El Capitan Theater. An animator for Disney, Tony and Selmo became friends with Carol Na- Clarence Nash during his early time with the company and was given personal lessons on the voice. Due to his leukemia diagnosis, of which Anselmo was unaware, Nash trained Anselmo with the secret intention of having Anselmo replace him as the voice of Donald. Since Clarence Nash's passing, Donald's voice has been performed by Anselmo. Anselmo's first performance as Donald was heard in the 1986 DTV special, DTV Valentine on the Disney Channel, and in his first feature film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, in 1988. Walt Disney insisted on character consistency and integrity. As long as Clarence was alive, no one other than Clarence was permitted to provide Donald's voice. Continuing in that tradition, in 1988, Roy E. Disney created the Department of Disney Character Voices to ensure continuation of character integrity, consistency, and quality in recording methods. Roy named one official voice for all Walt Disney legacy characters. Tony Anselmo was named by Roy E. Disney as Disney's official voice of Donald Duck. For the TV series Mickey and the Roadster Racers, later named Mickey Mouse Mixed Up Adventures, Donald is voiced by voice actor Daniel Ross, whilst Anselmo continues as the official voice of Donald on all other Disney projects, DuckTales, Mickey Mouse Shorts, Legend of the Three Caballeros, Kingdom Hearts 3, Disney Parks Attractions, and Consumer Products. Donald Duck has played a major role in many Disney theme parks over the years. He has actually been seen in more attractions and shows at the Disney parks than Mickey Mouse has. No doubt much to Donald's delight. He has appeared over the years in such attractions as Animagique, Mickey Mouse Review, Mickey's Magic. Disneyland, The First 50 Magical Years, Grand Fiesta Tour, starring the Three Caballeros, and the updated version of It's a Small World. And, I, Craig, I haven't been on it, but he's in Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway? Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, because Goofy also has uh, a little plot in it, and, and Daisy, mm-hmm. and the, the gang's all there. So Donald's mm-hmm. actually... Um, he he's there. He's one of the lighter used characters of it, though. But he's 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 still he got to be part of the crew. That's good. Yeah, I know that Goofy is the train engineer, and I think Daisy leads a dance class. Unfortunately, but- yes. <laughs> and that's again, that is not a knock on Daisy. That's more. It's one of the moments of the ride I I actually truly dislike. It's fun and it makes you smile, but it's a. Uh, it's a it, it's a little cheap, but that's oh, okay. that's not what this is about. We're here about Donald Duck. <laughs> that's right. We'll get into Daisy in a future <laughs> episode. He is also seen in the parks as a meet and greet character. So we all like excitement, and there is a lot of excitement with Donald Duck because he's involved. Everything he's involved with happens at breakneck speed. 
He speaks for the little man and the frustrated who can never get the best of a situation. He voices complaints and criticism against the bitterness of life with a courage we may lack. If Donald is frustrated, it's because life is frustrating. If he's exasperating, it's because he's exasperated. And we recognize this in ourselves. When we laugh at Donald, we're laughing at ourselves. Because we like Donald, we forgive his faults and in turn forgive ourselves for our faults. Donald, in his wacky way, is heroic. A 1952 press release said Donald is a champion who will stand up and yell defiance and abuse at injustice and nagging provocations as they come to the common lot. Donald squawks for all of us, and we love him because he squawks. And, and I think that pretty well sums it up. Yeah, I I mean, we've we've said a lot about Donald in this episode while we've only covered, you know, just such a such a brief overview of of everything that he has done. So, uh yeah, I I think it's the the perfect perfect way to sum up Donald Duck and again, um it's just I'm walking away from this episode wanting now to to really really get into the Donald cartoons again because I'm I'm my love for Donald has just been reinvigorated. Well that's good and that's perfect because in our next installment of the history of Donald Duck, we are going to take a closer look at Donald's film career, which is which is surprisingly large. And well even well today into the modern era. But now it's time to waddle back to This Week in Disney History. Well, here we are. We're already halfway through January. Hard to believe. <laughs> so. Yeah, time just keeps rolling along, and we're going to roll with it. I know, and sometimes it feels like it's just rolling on over us. <laughs> so. Yep. Okay. Well, we're starting out with January 17th. This Disney legend, Imagineer, and artist, color stylist, was born in San Francisco, California on January 17, 1913. His stunning watercolor background paintings featured in Pinocchio continue to be heralded by Disney scholars, fans, and art collectors for the rich and textured beauty they add to the animated film. His work can also be seen in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Fantasia, Cinderella, and Lady and the Tramp. He also created the backgrounds for such theme park attractions as Pirates of the Caribbean and Haunted Mansion. The Haunted Mansion tombstone, which reads, At peaceful rest lies Brother Claude, planted here beneath this sod, is a reference to this person. What is his name? Uh, well, I'm... Um Thank you for the last clue. I was kind of leaning towards Claude Coates, but you you helped me out there right at the end. <laughs> That's right. It is Claude Coates. I know I always like to throw in the tombstone so that when folks are waiting in the queue and they see the tombstones that you, you can all dazzle folks with your, your wisdom um, by saying by telling them who all those tombstones are named after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, January 18th, singer Jack Mayer passed away in California on January 18th, 2009. 
Disneyland fans knew him for his 13 years in the Golden Horseshoe Review. He is also known for his ghostly apparition in the Haunted Mansion as what figure? Hmm. I... You've got me stumped on this one. Jack Mayer is one of the singing busts in the Haunted Mansion attraction. He is the bust that says, starts to shriek! <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Mayer appeared in countless television shows with people such as Ed Sullivan, Danny Kaye, Frank Sinatra, and Bing Crosby. And I realized a big chunk of our audience is going to have to Google all those people. And sang in the chorus of such films as The Sound of Music and Bye Bye Birdie. So, yeah, uh, anyway. impressive, impressive person. I will I'll definitely keep that in mind the next time I'm on, I'm on a haunted mansion. I will yeah. be able to appreciate it a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, and again, now you can dazzle your friends because you know you can point out Thurl Ravenscroft, and because he talked about which one he is, yeah. and now, now Jack Mayer, exactly the best. <laughs> All right, January 19th, Lillian Bounds from Idaho and the future wife of Walt Disney started working at the Disney Brothers Cartoon Studio in Hollywood on January 19th, 1924. What was her first job at the studio? Her first job, she was an ink and paint girl. That's right. That's right. Making $15 a week. Yeah, and, and Lillian has been recommended by her sister's friend, who is also an employee, and she's taken the job because it is within her walking distance of her older sister Hazel's house, where she's currently living, and it doesn't require her to spend bus fare. And not a bad and, job. No, no, it, it had its perks. Yeah, it's. I, I feel like it worked out decently well for her eventually down the line. It did, it took even a while. though. Even now, her friend said, um, her sister's friend said, don't vamp the boss. <laughs> <laughs> okay, January 20th, Buzz Aldrin, the second human to ever step foot on the moon, is born in Montclair, New Jersey on January 20th, 1930. Aldrin is the inspiration for which animated character? I believe that would be Buzz Lightyear. Absolutely. That's right. Over the years, a veteran astronaut attended the special space-related events at Disney theme parks, including the launch of Epcot's Mission Space in 2003. In 1999, he voiced himself in the Recess TV episode Space Cadet. The lunar module pilot on Apollo 13, the first manned lunar landing in history, Aldrin was also a mechanical engineer and a U.S. Air Force pilot. So, you know, the the word hero gets thrown around a lot, but, you know, he definitely a hero. Oh, yeah, a thousand percent. So I, yeah. I, we, we've mentioned it on the show plenty of times, but I am a space nut and I mm-hmm. have, I have a ton of admiration for, for Buzz Aldrin, for Neil Armstrong, for basically every single person who was in the the space program there was apollo mercury uh, all of it back then uh just just truly fascinating i'm so happy that someone like like buzz could be immortalized and the inspiration for buzz lightyear and you know it's still it's buzz lightyear has not lost any any popularity and will continue to thrive with with the next step in buzz lightyear's journey that we'll see here in a in a couple of years. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I've not watched the Right Stuff series on Disney Plus yet. That's on my list. I honestly, start. I, I went to start it last night and I just, I was too tired. So I was like, I'm, I need to wait till I'm in a, uh, in a, in a good position where I'm, I'm not, I'm not falling asleep. I'm able to pay attention well to it because I am, I may am very excited to watch it. So. Me too. I'm in the middle of so many series right now that I, I've got to finish one or two. That's so, tell me about it. Start another <laughs> one. <laughs> okay, January 21st. What attraction sponsored by the American Dairy Association opened in Disneyland on January 1st, 1956? J- January 21st, 1956. Oh, I, I do not know. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> oh, no, you, you're on a streak. The, the Dairy Bar. And it featured exhibits about farming techniques of the future, the prospect of flying milkmen delivering milk straight to the front door. Amazon may make that uh, happen someday. <laughs> and how happy, contented cows produce better milk. Guests can also enjoy an ice-cold glass of milk at the bar. I don't remember that being on any of the ticket books when uh, <laughs> when we did our days at Disneyland with with Tony in the past, I would have most definitely went and checked out the dairy bar. Yeah. A stop for me. <laughs> I yeah. I wanted to see about flying milkmen. I, I love a good glass of milk. <laughs> well, January 22nd, which Walt Disney studio star received a star on Hollywood walk of fame 40 years after Mickey Mouse on January 22nd, 2018. Hmm, that was um that was uh Minnie Mouse when they had the that year that <laughs> she was just everything plus more. I know, I know. So um but 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 you know she, I think her her crescendo was her Elton John video. Oh, of of course. It's I I think we should now get a running tally of how many times we've brought that up on the show. <laughs> I, I have no doubt somebody's um Somebody could give us a number. Her star, which is the 2,627th star, is dedicated in the category of motion pictures at 6834 Hollywood Boulevard in front of the El Capitan Theater. January 23rd, the first Lucasfilm production to be distributed by Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures following their parent company's acquisition of the studio in 2012 was released on January 23, 2015. What is the title of the film? I am not sure. I think you you have me tricked on this. I have I have never heard of this film um, when I was researching. Strange Magic. It's an animated feature by Lucasfilm distributed by Disney's Touchstone Pictures. It's about goblins, elves, fairies, and imps and their misadventures sparked by the battle over a powerful potion. The film is directed by Gary Rydstrom and features the voices of Alan Cumming, Evan Rachel Wood, Kristen Kristen Chenoweth, Maya Rudolph, and Alfred Molina. So, I mean, there's big names attached to this. Yeah, those are huge names. I have never, I mean, I'm sure I heard of it at some point in time, but I have zero recollection at all of this. So, I have to find out if it's on some streaming service. There's probably a reason we have never heard of this. Yeah, it's, it's probably <laughs> not Grant. I just, I, it's, 
I I feel like I should remember. I should remember it more. I don't know. I, I say it all the time. My brain's just, it's getting old. <laughs> well, not as old as mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did really well this week. Just threw you with the dairy bar and strange magic. Yeah, it's okay. And uh, and the uh, the um, uh, Meyer as well, too. So Oh, yeah. oh yeah. I forgot about it. I him. was just, just above passing here. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I... Well, you get an A for effort. <laughs> okay. Well, well, you know, Craig, how last week I was, said I was really looking forward to watching Marvel's Legends on Disney Plus. Have you watched it? Um, yes, I did, and you know, I I'm glad that I just had a spare 15 minutes that I could <laughs> waste getting a recap of movies that I've seen countless times and don't need uh, extra extra uh reminding of their story arcs but i'm sure for some people it will be a nice refresher if they've maybe only watched all the movies once yeah i i don't know what i was expecting because uh, you know in the on the interwebs people who expressed disappointment were immediately put down by people saying well what did you expect <laughs> i thought well i sort of expected they would have a little dialogue and just sort of put all of this into context because exactly. it, you know because even if you only watch the films once if you did watch the film once i still don't think you would have gotten a lot out of it yeah so and it, well especially because the first two obviously for good reasons are focused on uh wanda and in vision because mm-hmm. of wanda vision and so when you you look at that like their storylines, uh, well, Vision obviously started as Jarvis and then had a bigger role kind of uh, in different ways. And uh, they weren't together in um, Ultron, but then after, and then not in Civil War. But once you get to the point where you're at Infinity War, they are together. So even watching both of them back to back was like, well, they really only needed one for both of them and they could have then you know said okay well you know she was from this side he was the from this side then they fought and then they came together and it just would have been more succinct instead it was two two short videos that were the exact same and then as you mentioned with no context where it's like why why couldn't they have had a documentary style voiceover with someone from Marvel mm-hmm. giving a little bit more a little bit more uh, knowledge on the background of the characters give some history back to the comics have have they ever had a relationship in the comics like they do in the movies stuff stuff along that nature uh, it just it's it, it, I mean it's not one of those things where I'm like oh I'm so disappointed I wasted my time with it but I also am not going to be uh, spending any time watching any of the rest of them because I, yeah. besides, I think Thor, the dark world. And uh, really that's like the only one that that, and then technically the, the Hulk, but you know, that's Edward Norton's Hulk. So even it's place in the, the MCU is sketchy at best, but like besides those movies, I, I, I know all of them so well from watching them so much. There's, it, it's just it's not for me. But I'm hope I hope they're good for someone out there. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, w- one series I really did like was one I'd said a while back I was looking forward to was that um, uh, 
I don't, I don't remember what it's called. I liked it. it uh, Magic of the Animal Kingdom or something like mm-hmm. that. Yes. On the National Geographic Channel. And that was excellent. It exceeded my expectations. Yeah, I still, I need to, I need to watch that. I need to barricade myself up in my office and just lie to Kylie and tell her I'm actually doing work. And instead I can sit in here and watch that just because our dogs bark at every single animal. And (laughs) I mean, it's not even that it's, they're now getting so ridiculous when we're watching TV. If there's a car on the TV or a bike, they're barking at that too, just like they would if it was outside. It's just, we're at the point where we can't watch TV around them anymore. So, uh, it's, I, the man magic of animal animal kingdom is just, it's out. I, I, oh, mean, yeah, they would, they would be apoplectic. Yeah. I even was like, one time I tried watching one of the true life adventures. And I'm like, you know what? It's, it's older. It's a different quality. Maybe, maybe I can fool them a little bit because it's not crystal clear HD video and, uh, that it did not fool them at all. They, yeah, they did not like the animals of the 1950s just, just as much as they don't like the ones of the, uh, the, the, 2000s well well you know we we got uh disneyland news about the resort today they're going to be giving out the happiest covid vaccinations on earth yes it's uh good i'm glad that they're doing something with the parking lot so that's better than nothing with the parking lot yeah yeah i i hope a free churro comes with each vaccination yeah, I mean, it's maybe they can also have a blood drive set up there or something too, so that way you you can get the the churro after instead of the cookie. Yeah. I don't I'm just throwing <laughs> out ideas. They can they can do whatever they want with it. I'm sure they can. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, all right, and I just want to let folks know if you haven't heard, uh, the Diz Family Reunion 2021 has been rescheduled to September 9th to 10th. And then the After Hours event at Galaxy's Edge is September 11th. And, of course, this is being put on and benefits Give Kids the World. And we'll have a link to it in our show notes. For folks who have tickets and all that, there will be um, more information coming out at some point about, um, you know, about all the plans and and hotel rooms like, and things like that. Yeah, so. and uh, I'll just... I'll- throw in here for a second on that just because I, I we alluded to it when we first started talking about the event that i know it's unfortunate for a lot of people um and it caught a lot of us by surprise including us with the diz that because again our name is on it and and members of the team will be around at various events and such but since this wasn't a diz run diz operated event and it was just give kids the world doing it and then the Diz and dreams was working alongside to offer like the room blocks and you know help help out with some of the events and such especially like the day we were going to do the podcast recording um that's that's kind of where we were at with it so even even for us it wasn't it wasn't necessarily one of those uh decisions that we knew about it too far in advance with it so it's it's unfortunate and know a lot of people probably aren't going to be rescheduled because of the the new date and such but uh for for those of you who are able to make it when when it inevitably happens if it is in september or if it gets rescheduled again because who knows where we'll be in september that still seems like way too far away to to truly know um 
We, we hope we hope we can all get together eventually one day. Yeah, hope so. Yeah. Anyway, so more on that. We'll share more on that as um, we learn more. Yes. So anyway, and then I haven't brought it up in a little while. Uh, story time with Michael. You know, we're we're bringing it back to life. I'm bringing it up because we had our first submissions of art mm-hmm. from an artist. So so now the ball's in my court <laughs> to, um, to record the video. And uh, and we have another artist interested in taking on um, one of the stories. So the stories that are still available, and what what this is about is is that we're relaunching Storytime with Michael. Where I'm going to be re I'm going to be reading the original fairy tales from the um, Little Blue Fairy Book from Andrew Wang and Andrew Lang, I should say, and. Um, they and it's on the Project Gutenberg site, and where you can go to Project Gutenberg, and they um, these are sites that are out of they're they're stories that are in the public domain. You can download the whole book if you want, or you can just look up the story, read it online from the Blue Fairy Book by Andrew Lang, and um, and read the stories there, and because a lot of people only know the Disney version, so we're going to do in story time with Michael is read the original versions, and then I'll talk a little about how um, they how Walt Disney Studio adapted them for the versions that we know. And we thought, uh, 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 Sean, uh, uh, listener Sean gave us this idea, and then Craig and I were thinking, you know, the the book doesn't have a lot of illustrations in it, so we've invited people artists to submit their drawings choose a story submit their illustrations for the show in their style and then um we would highlight then their um, art and then and then if they are selling their art on a website we would also promote that website or etsy site or or whatever it may be so we still have three stories up for grabs um the sleeping beauty in the wood hansel and gretel Snow White and Rose Red. So if you are interested in that, um, in any of these stories, you can email me and Craig, and we're going to give our email addresses in just a moment, and say, hey, I'm interested in this, and I would like to learn more. We even have a, a music composer who's interested in scoring music once the video is done and mm-hmm. put together. So these should be pretty, ex- pretty cool, I think, once um, they're done. So anyways, but very excited that we're, you know, we're at, we're now heading into phase two of our first story. Now that we have the, the wonderful artwork from the artists for our first story. Yeah. So I referred to several books, articles, and websites during my research for this episode. Um, a book that I referred to is Walt Disney's Donald Duck, 50 Happy Years of Frustration by Justin Knowles. Um, some articles and websites I refer to, The Origins of the Duck by J.B. Kaufman, and The Forgotten Duck Man by J.B. Kaufman, the Disney Wiki on Donald Duck, and People Are Taking Donald Duck Very Seriously Now by Matt Morrison. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on the various shows of the Disunplugged Podcast Network, and then always on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Teleclaster, and you can email me, Craig, at wdwinfo.com. What about you, Michael? 
You can email me at michael at wdwinfo.com. On Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm michaelbowling connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm michaelbowlingthediz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at connectingwalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at disneyunplugged.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.